Hi there, I'm Ushin Lunny, and this is the Siemens Advanta podcast, where we invite you to unlock the full potential of IoT. Every episode, we chat with some world-leading experts who can help make the vision of an optimistic IoT-powered future a reality. And on this episode, the grand finale of season one of the podcast, I am honoured to welcome the CEO of Siemens, Dr. Roland Bush. Welcome to the podcast, Roland. Thank you very much. Hi, Oshin. How are you this morning? All good. I've had my coffee. I'm ready to talk IoT. This is uh, fantastic to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on things, your unique view from the top. Uh, you know, you've got thoughts on digitization, on the world of work and much more. We've got loads to talk about. But I wanted to start at the very, very beginning, if I may. Um, when you were at school, what did you actually want to be? When you were growing up. <laughs> <laughs> so after it was the very late in the high school when I when I then figured out that I think I wanted to study physics. Yeah. And then I wanted to be a teacher or professor. It turned out very quickly that I have to go another path. And the reason was that I thought it's just boring to teach again and again the same things. So this was the major reason why I thought, well, it's nice. I'm, I, I think I'm good in teaching. My wife always says I can explain things very well, make it easy and understandable. Mm. The curiosity, my curiosity was in the way to, to say I have to go ahead. <laughs> Excellent. So your career as a physician or teacher long term was sort of sabotaged by this insatiable curiosity. I like that very much. And, and when did the thought of becoming the CEO of a company first enter your mind? Did it arrive at you or was it something you, you figured out? No, it arrived uh, actually very late. So I'm in the managing board of Siemens now for 10 years. And, and this goes back uh, to the, my first PL responsibility. Yeah. And from that on, and this was 2002 to five. And from that position and this position, including onwards, I was never looking for the next step. I was resting calm on what I'm doing, was exciting. And maybe that's one of the tips I give to young managers and young people that I say, do what you do and do it with passion and, and rest in it. The rest will come. And today you're the CEO of a company with a market cap of, you know, more or less 110 billion euros, uh, which is very significant. And this is a big responsibility. It's a big role. And you actually stepped into it at one of the most challenging times in modern history. It was during a pandemic and a global crisis. So what was that experience like for you? And, uh, you know, how have you found the new role? Since I took over during the pandemic, First thing was really to take care about our people and yeah. to organize the, the whole organization in almost 200 countries in the world that we take care about people, but at the same time, take care about our customers so that we are delivering even in difficult times. And we kept our promise. I think this is yeah. one thing. The other one is that we are living in, in times of transformation. All our markets are transforming. They are, and, and the pandemic was accelerating all trends, what we see in particular, the digitalization trend, which is really on and and it's even more present than we thought. And this is the most exciting part about this job because um, really guiding this organization through this huge transformation. And we all know transformational times are times where you as many, many companies are suffering the incumbent syndrome. That means oh, yeah. market leader will eventually not survive or will be not market leader. 
in, in the best case after this transformation. And we have to manage this transformation in a better way, which is exciting, but also challenging at the same time. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So these kind of challenging times, they really kind of show the focus on what's important. And uh, you said there you focused on making sure your people were okay, your customers are okay, and very much looking after the whole ecosystem that's connected with your company. But this is in the time of digital transformation. And the pandemic is shining a focus on companies that are going to be successful, that are not going to be successful. There's winners and losers in all industries. But taking it back a bit, why is digital transformation necessary right now to become resilient and to stay resilient? What's the role that digital transformation plays? So there are a couple of elements. It is indeed about resiliency. And you could recognize that companies who did invest in digitalization and automation, they were running through the crisis much smoother than others. Mm. And there are a couple of examples then. I mean, we, we, we didn't have to shut down our manufacturing sites. Some of them were running with really a handful of people, um, big sites, because we were automated and many, many of the tasks were done remotely. Yeah. We also have an example that we could still deliver trains where others couldn't because we have a virtual homologation or acceptance test with customers. We were guiding them with glasses through the virtual room, through cool. the homologation and acceptance test process, and they accepted it. So this is one element, but that's another one. There's a huge demand for higher productivity, shorter time to market, more personalized products, reducing of resources or CO2 mm. footprint when you're producing, recycling. All of that requires really a step up in the way how we are running our operations as of today. And this step up cannot be done if you, I'm always saying, if you polish the asymptote we are sitting on, so using the same technologies and make it a little bit better, yeah. you can have your 2 or 3% productivity. But if you want to gear it for 7, 8, 9, 10, then you really have to do things differently. And this is where a digitalization comes in place and data. So it's about um, the available data, connecting devices and making them talk to each other. Yeah. And eventually also then autonomously that the devices aren't doing a lot of things based on trained algorithm with machine learning AI algorithms based on the data which we have and do that um, on their own, so to speak, but also having a real digital thread along the value chain from engineering through manufacturing and supply and delivery. And if you have this digital thread, you can really optimize the whole value chain and shorten time to market. Yeah, indeed. I mean, digital transformation does sound like win-win. You're going to improve any KPI that you look at, you know, more productivity, uh, more potential for the company, more future growth. So it does seem like a bit of a no-brainer, but not every company in the industrial world is embracing digital transformation. Why do you think it's so difficult in the industrial field for folks to get on board with this? Yeah, it requires a new set of competencies and capabilities. This is the reason why we put growth mindset so much in the center of our strategy. Yeah. So um, take a small and medium-sized enterprise. Uh, the IT department easily fits on my conference table here. So, I mean, if you really want to drive digitalization, you need much, much more capabilities. And remember, this is about connecting the real and the digital world yeah. and drive productivity. It's connecting IT and OT worlds. So therefore, some disciplines, they didn't talk to each other before. We had the IT world in the OT world, and they were living in their in their own world, so to speak. We want to connect them. This requires a new set of competencies. It requires domain know-how. 
Mm. If you don't have the domain know-how of whatever market you are in, uh, you will not be able to identify the problem points and mm -hmm. we will definitely not be able to solve them and really bring to the next level so kind of solutions. So therefore, it's a set of competencies. Again, domain know-how, you need the IT competence, the OT competence, but you also need an ecosystem working on it because there's no company in the world who can pull the whole thing on its own. So building up a very powerful ecosystem of party customers, but also IT providers, cloud providers, but also application developers and or other parties bringing domain know-how, that's key. And that's something what I believe Siemens can, unlike any other company, do best because we are living in both worlds. We have a 5 billion software portfolio. We invested 10 billion in our software suite. We have the domain know-how. We even have the consultancy and integration competence with Siemens Advanta, yes. which is an absolute advantage. And our customers are asking, can you help me really making this transformation? And so we can offer a lot, but not everything. You have a strong ecosystem too. Yes, yes, right. Okay, so it's a mixture of technology, uh, the right leadership, the mindset. You mentioned the growth mindset is very important. Do you think it's an option for any company to, you know, sit on its hands and do nothing? I mean, what's going to happen to a company who doesn't embrace digital transformation? If I would be a leader of this company, I would not give it a try. I would really go with the flow and, and yes. try to adapt technology as fast as possible. Yeah. I'm afraid that uh, this would be the destiny of each company who's not moving to the next level of deploying technology, yeah. that they would eventually disappear. Because mm. if others do, they can show higher productivity, shorter time to market, and then you can tune the clock until this company would disappear. Yeah. Wow. Set your watch by it. Okay, folks, you, you heard it here. Those are words to live by. You need to get on board the digital transformation agenda. Um, so it's important for the big players to have the right mindset as well. I mean, you mentioned incumbent syndrome earlier. So what kind of leadership is required, do you think, to avoid this incumbent syndrome and really to succeed on the transformation journey? The point, going one step deeper now, the point is that there's a, a kind of a destiny of these incumbents because they obviously, since they are the market leader, they obviously do something better than anybody else. Yeah. So this is the starting point where you say, well, I mean, if I'm doing better than anybody else, why should I change? So this is the first question. And the answer is that normally when you study these kind of transformations or disruptive changes, they all happen at the fringe of your markets, um, mm. asking for a different set of KPIs, not those which you are sitting on and we are optimizing and tuning, as I said, and improving all the time a little bit better. So you stay ahead of your curve of your existing market and existing competitors. But at the fringe, there are different KPIs. I'll give you an example. When you, today we are selling, uh, we have a market leader in, in, in our automation devices, our PLCs. Mm. And they're asking for, make them smaller, make them a little bit faster and whatnot. But if you talk about really this digital transformation, it's more about values. It's not about a PLC who does one particular job. It's about really, how can I drive the output of my plant full stop? How can I get my quality up? How can I get my yield up or my fault rates down? which is a more comprehensive view on it, which you can solve based on an, again, integrated version of looking for, into the design and the manufacturing and learn from it how it goes together, just to give an example. And here comes the point. Uh, leadership requires now that you, you still you make your money, you make your living out of what you're good at. Mm. This is one thing. 
but then start in the fringe of the market to identify where are the trends where you have go for different KPIs, a different set of values and start working on it right now, drive it, test it eventually in the fringe of the market so mm. that you are not attacking your core markets full steam at the first place, but you try it somewhere. Um, and once you recognize that this is really the new thing, then you start saying, okay, now I can really shift gear and go full steam. So, and doing that concurrently within the same organization, running eventually different processes within the same organization. This, I do believe, is the biggest challenge. Last point, uh, don't forget your sales force because yeah. your sales force is in your way if you go for something new, if you really disrupt. Therefore, you have to start really at the customer front when you want to drive your transformation. Yeah, indeed. It's sort of like avoiding that complacency. And, you know, if all your KPIs are telling you you're number one, it must be quite tempting just to like, okay, well, let's not do anything different because we're obviously number one. But breaking out, having that innovation mindset installed in different parts of the company, I think is genius. It's brilliant. And, you know, we've just got the leadership perspective there and how you operationalize this kind of agile mindset. But what kind of cultural shift is required within a company. And, to, you know, you mentioned the sales team there. Does the whole company culture need to change, do you think? How important is culture? It's maybe one of the most important elements. It's the mm. culture, is the way how you, you run your company. So this is a reason why we put empowerment and growth mindset in the center of our strategy. Empower your people, give them trust, give them yeah. a clear... It's not about an anarchy, no? Don't get me wrong here. It's about giving them the right target, what you want to achieve. Mm. Um, make it clear and then give the task and allow them to really do what they can do best exactly. And this is managing. And it's also about an accountability at the same time. So they, of course they have the duty to deliver, but then allow a failure culture too, because if you mm. try something new, it's by definition that you fail and try it again and try it again. And then you will see that you have a steep learning curve. If you're fast enough, if you've empowered people and they are smart enough to learn, and then you get there. And this brings me to the second one, which is the growth mindset. Growth mindset starts with openness. Openness for failure, openness for eventually that you're not the best in the market, openness that some others are good or startups are even eating into your field. Mm -hmm. um, it's about learning, constant learning, uh, lifelong learning. Uh, technologies are changing so fast that you cannot sit and wait or, or whatever you learned in the past carries you through all your career. It's not working anymore. Yeah. So, and this combination of empowerment and growth mindset, I think is that what can change the value and the culture of our company. Mm. We have to do that very fast. We have to take a lot of fuel with us, not only uh, the management, but also in particular the middle management, which is the place where this transformation really happens at the end of the day, maybe the most difficult place to be in. Yes. And of course, all the people which we have in our company, but we have such a good response to our growth mindset, strategic focus. So I'm, I'm very optimistic that our people will follow us. Awesome. I love that. Empowering, you know, your colleagues to just be their absolute best to ride these waves of digital change and to be innovative and to have a, you know, an agile mindset. And um, winding back a bit, you spoke earlier about industries that are really at the beginning or they're kind of embarking on a journey of transformation and technology and infrastructure are big areas for this. Some of the companies there can be a bit slow to move, but from your viewpoint, 
What would you say are some of the key technologies for the future that folks need to be aware of and need to be following? Uh, well, as I described before, the whole thing is about connecting the real and the digital worlds together. So therefore, you have to look into both worlds. One, if I take the real world, watch out for 5G. Oh, yeah. 5G technology. It is really speeding up the way how we communicate so we can have shop floor, real-time connectivity and change the way how you run your, your manufacturing side. It's about autonomous machines, autonomous robots, AGVs in the company, disaggregate dating lines, which is a completely a new way of you how you're running manufacturing. It's about power electronics, which is an important element too. So these are a couple of elements. Then let's step into the digital world. It's about AI competence. Mm. It is about data. So you have to have the right data strategy. And this is not trivial because you need to have the, the right data sovereignty. You have cybersecurity so that you're sitting on your assets and you're allowing them to go to the cloud without fearing that you have any leakage. And another element is the future of automation. Automation will be run in a different way um, with different protocols. Additive manufacturing is another one, uh, mm. which I believe we have to watch out. Many people talk about blockchain. I'm not sure whether this is one of the core technologies, but it will have its place in the future. Yeah, well, there's a lot of new technologies, all centered around, as I said before, the combination of hardware and software, the combination of the OT and IT and again, data, data, data. Yes, data, data, data. I like that very much. Data is the new oil, as some people have commented. Are there any examples from the world of Siemens or Siemens Advanta where, you know, a lot of these new approaches and new technologies are coming together? What does it look like in the real world? Let me give an example from our own experience, the manhole problem. Oh, yeah. You know, there are manholes um, and below these manholes, you have eventually electric switch gears and once in a while they burst because oh, they, you know, they, you know, they get too hot and uh, they, and they burst. And the problem is that you never know when it happens. So they had an army again of people running around, going into these manholes and checking out what's happening there. Yeah. And we came up with an IOT solution. So putting sensors in, which are censoring the most, uh, interesting KPIs in order to figure out what's happening, but also in, in using the data and learning from it, you can predict if and when something happens. So you can send people out and prevent these bursts, which were really doing harm to people oh, yeah. um, passing by. So therefore, this is an example where you connect IT devices, you use the data and you bring it to a completely different level of yeah, predictive maintenance in that case. Totally. I love the use case of predictive maintenance, particularly when it comes to exploding manholes, because you do not want to be standing on a manhole. <laughs> not as, really. No, 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 no. That is going to be definitely a, ba a bad place to be standing on that particular day. <laughs> I did hear, I was reading the other day about an interesting use case from uh, medical care, a company called Fresenius. Yeah. So, I mean, it's about people who are, have to uh, get a dialysis at home. Yeah. And these are about 400,000 people worldwide who do that and they need it. It's life preserving. Oh, yeah. So, and it happens very often that patients are worried because of unusual noise. So, of course, if your life depends on, you don't make any compromise. So, the solution is that these small pumping devices, they were equipped with a sensor that continuously records vibrations. Yeah. And AI analysis patterns 
compare which biopresents are similar to the devices. So now the patients, they can be assured the device works perfectly or yeah. in case it doesn't, that we really have a kind of a service team going there and replace it before a malfunction happens. Fantastic. So this is really life-saving and therefore I like this example too. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the, it's the internet of things that can save your life, you know, that's just incredible. These are really interesting use cases and it feels very much like we are at the beginning of a connected world. It's moving quickly. It's happening as we speak. It's saving lives every minute of every day. But there's so much more that's going to come from this, I think. But let's zoom out a bit. Why do you think this digital transformation is happening and, and why is it so important right now? What's the, the big picture? So there's one, one element in it which is very obvious because we are talking about every day. It's about climate change. Yeah. It's about reducing CO2, but not only CO2, also using less resources. Uh, we are living above the capabilities of our Earth. Yeah. So therefore, this is something which we have to tackle. This goes only with technologies. Is it deploying renewables? But that's not the end of the story because then you need to store. You need to run your systems differently. Your grid has to be managed in a different way with intermittent energy, which you're feeding in in both directions. Again, how to store it. So this is one element. And the other one is just reducing your energy consumptions because any kilowatt hour you don't claim at the end serves you three at the beginning. Yes. So therefore, efficiency in manufacturing, in buildings, in transport. And there's another element. The worldwide growth of GDP was bringing us to the point that uh, we brought so many people out of poverty. So the average income per capita is increasing. So growth is an important element. Yet you need to do this growth with less energy and less resources, but also with less people because we are living in an aging society. Mm. And a lot of the growth was driven by just adding more labor to the market. And going forward, this will shrink to basically zero. So we are missing 1.5% of growth without any new labor in the market. Yes. This goes only with technology. This is the reason why China is investing so much into autonomous robots, replacing not people, but pieces of the work people do. So part of the work they do with robots and autonomous machines. So these are, to my understanding, on a higher level, the major drivers of these changes. It's fascinating. It's sort of the reasons behind growth. It's not about robots coming to take your jobs, as we read in some headlines. It's about automation, helping people, mirroring the evolving needs of society and an aging society, as you say, and this global uh, explosion of GDP. Fascinating times. You spoke earlier about this idea that no one company can do things alone. We need to exist in this world of interconnected ecosystems. Do you think this ecosystem approach and this co-creation approach can actually speed up digital transformation in the way that humanity needs right now? It enables it and it speeds it up, but it's both. And you cannot work without this ecosystem. We have to get closer to our customers. Uh, this is about co-creation, that we really uh, go to our customers. They have domain know-how too, yeah. yet they're, coming on this, they're sitting on the same domain. Let's talk about chemical, pharmaceutical industries. We talked about automotive. They have the domain, but we are looking at the same domain from a different perspective. We come from the automation Car manufacturers come from the whole integration assembly. And bringing this together is already an asset which we have to have to build. So on 
So co-creation. And again, coming back, this is the strength. What we have is that you need a trustful relationship with your customers. Otherwise, yeah. you would not share in an open uh, mindset how you can co-create solutions. And the second one is the ecosystem. I mean, we talked about the cloud providers. It's just impossible that everybody creates its own cloud. Uh, these clouds are living from the fact that they are scaling up and they can at the same time reduce the cost for storage of data, reduce the cost of processing data. Mm. And you can do that only in scale. And you know that eventually that uh, these hyperscalers, they are investing tens of billions per annum into these cloud infrastructure. So you have to leverage their scale in order to really drive the cost down and to get access to the data. So therefore you need mm. these. But you need also an army of app developers. And we have so many working on digital jobs and many of them are software programmers, but this is even tiny, tiny little share of whatever programmers are sitting out there. So we need hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So therefore we want to make them joining us too, but also other players, IT players, like our strategic partnership with SAP. Mm -hmm. They're coming from the ERP system. So enterprise resource planning system. We are coming more from the shop floor, bring these competencies together. The myth about it is many people saying, well, then I share my market. So I have to defend my market. I do it rather on my own. That's not the point. It's mm -hmm. about having a bigger cake or another cake rather than sharing the same cake. Brilliant. And this is completely misunderstood. And what's also misunderstood, it's this network effect. If you think about the past, the value chain was very easy described. Tier three delivers to tier one, adding some value. Tier two delivers to tier one, adding some value. And they deliver to the OEM and they deliver a car, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a linear value chain and everybody adds a little bit of value. And finally, everybody makes its living from it. The new world is completely different. We're adding thousands or hundred thousands of suppliers with ten thousands of customers on one platform. And everybody who's using it is contributing something. And this makes it very, very big. And it's this network effect which really kicks mm -hmm. in. So we are coming to a completely different kind of value proposition, a different business model, a business model which has the potential to scale up much, much faster and has been much more powerful. So this is the way how ecosystems work. And we have to create a deep understanding also in our manager's mindset that this is the way of we have to work in the future. Yeah, indeed. I'm a fan of cake myself and I like very much the cake metaphor. You're coming together to build a bigger cake. What's wrong with more cake? Absolutely nothing. Everyone needs to get on board and get a slice of that cake and be a part of it. Um, but coming back to a couple of the things you said earlier. So there's a big technological change that's underway. It's getting faster and faster. And there is a mindset change that is equally as essential. But like, how do you address the whole thing? How do you bring it all together? Have you any tips from your perspective about how folks can move this forward? Well, I think it's uh, it starts again with growth mindset and the openness uh, to do things newly. Yeah. It's about uh, not defending the past rather than shaping the future. It's about um, be open for new technologies and again for partnering in a different way. It's I said uh, I said before when when it's about growth mindset, it's also about learning, and the learning starts on all levels. Is it your sales force which has to learn different way how to sell? via platforms, um, is it value selling? It's about the engineers who are trained differently in developing eventually cloud-based solutions rather than yeah. uh, solutions which are, are sitting on, on premise or in the new software process. But it's also about training the management on the new ways how you can do business. And 
I, I just explained quickly the difference between the former value chain and an ecosystem. You need to have a very in-depth understanding. And we have a training which runs for three days or four days. Yes. But if you don't start a journey, you will never end there. So therefore, <laughs> the best, best idea is um, get your people on board, get a couple of them on board and start your own transformation um, as of now. Fantastic. Let's do it. Absolutely. Great advice there. And so coming back to our very, very first question, I asked you when you were in school, what you were dreaming of becoming when you were older. What do you think your younger self would think of what you're doing today at Siemens? Well, it's hard to say. <laughs> I think my younger self would love it because uh, this is, I come back to the curiosity which uh, which I still have. And the job which I'm doing today is is really satisfying that I can learn so much. I meet so many brilliant people. I'm, I'm still curious. I'm, I'm learning every day and I love learning. And that's something what I think me being younger, looking at me today would really subscribe to and say, well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm very happy to hear that. Well, that, that's absolutely a, a perfect way to wrap things up there, connecting the real and digital worlds and connecting your younger self with yourself right now as CEO of Siemens. Thank you so much, Roland Bush, for joining us today to share some of your personal journey, your outlook on the world and some incredible insights with our lucky listeners. I really appreciate your time and everything you're doing to transform the business and the world of business at this important time for humanity. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Ashwin. It was very nice talking to you and all the best to you. Thank you. And talk to you again. Absolutely. And uh, listeners at home, thank you so much for joining us for this fascinating discussion. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to tell your friends and feel free to subscribe to the Siemens Advanta podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next time.